second lesson comes to us this morning again from the letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. Picking up in the second part of the chapter, verses 15 to 28. Hear the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil things, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to you, to every creature under heaven. And I, Paul, became a servant of that gospel. I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Friends, this is the the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today I want to get right into this text and I want us to take a minute to pause to think about the great hero stories And I want us to know, 
that some of the stories that I'm gonna be chatting about today all have their anchor in a Western context. There are folks within our congregation who know stories that don't have anchor an anchor in a Western context, and I'd encourage you to share those with me and with others because we need to hear all of those different kind of stories. But the stories that I know of, the myths, the epics of our generation that are very much anchored in a Western context are some of the ones that I want to play with today here in the beginning of this time. And so I want us to think about folks that we've read about growing up, or maybe we've read to our grandchildren, or maybe we're just reading now for the first time, like Harry Potter, okay? Harry Potter, okay, think about, think about Harry and the, the stuff that Harry has to kind of wrestle with in order to figure out who he is. He has to wrestle with his purpose and his part in the story, which is somehow figuring out how to disconnect from the power of Voldemort, right? And as he does that, he comes to what? In his own discovery, he comes to a recognition of his humanness and his limitations, or think about Lord of the Rings, right? And some of you maybe grew up reading this story and Frodo. And of course, Frodo doesn't maybe necessarily wrestle with his humanness in the same way. But, but the challenge that Frodo has to figure out, right, is how to not let the pursuit of power be the only thing that he chases after within his life. He has to somehow internalize his own limitations, he has to resist, right? Or for friends who are moviegoers or who maybe grew up um, reading comics, think about the story of Iron Man, right? Or Captain America, or there's countless others. Those are just the two that I'm the most familiar with. And as you know, in the story of Iron Man, Tony Stark eventually has to come to term with his own limitations, and Captain America, he's always remembering at the end of the day when he's sort of figuring out his mission and his vision, he's always remembering that little person inside that he started as, right? Or perhaps one of the most famous epic, epics of my generation, which is, of course, the story of Star Wars and Luke and Anakin Skywalker, right? And these epics, I think, are really important for us to keep in our mind um, as we're making meaning within our lives, as we're making sense of the text, because what these stories do is they help us to resonate with things that are true, with things that are true, and they help us to reflect value and purpose and beauty and importance, and in doing so, they echo, they echo the reality of the gospel, because part of what these epics are doing is they're illuminating how important it is to stay close to our limits and our vulnerabilities. And that is the real sacred power of what it means to be human, right? Of what it means to be human. That the real power in being human is figuring out how to claim our vulnerability. Hero stories aren't hero stories because the hero does the right thing or even the good thing. A lot of times heroes go wrong, right? But they wrestle with limits and they find a way to live within them and they find a way to claim our vulnerability and to then illumine how those limits of vulnerability are actually sacred. 
And I want to point out in our text today that our hero stories are not making that up. But they are actually echoing the reality that we find within the gospel. They're actually echoing that reality. When I think about texts like the one that we have before us today, these are some of the texts that I hold on to in my own life personally. And this is like one of those texts where when I think about things that I want to be read at my memorial, this Colossians 1.15 text comes to my mind because this is sort of a missional text for me. It helps me to make sense of what it means to be a Christian. It helps me to make sense of what it means to be a pastor in the 21st century. And it focuses my call and my mission during times when things can feel hard and sort of disjointed in this world of the 21st century where it seems like we're always sort of walking on sinking sand. And one minute we, we sort of reach out for something and the next minute that thing is sort of falling apart beneath us. But it's texts like this that anchor me personally during this time. Because what this text is claiming, what this text is claiming is that in the middle of all of human history, if we were to go back 2,000 years in the middle of all of human history with all of its brutality and all of its violence and all of its celebration of warfare and conquering and expanding tribes and breaking others, with all of that that we have um, as part of our sort of colonial inheritance, whether we're white people or not, right? Many of us have a certain kind of colonial inheritance that we have. But in the middle of this text, we have this enduring testimony that we cannot be shaken from, that the one who has the power to begin the cosmos, let me just say that again, the one that has the power to begin the cosmos is the very same one who has chosen for before the foundation of the world not to be known in power but in weakness. Not to be known in power but in weakness. Let's listen in to what Paul is helping us to make sense of here. He's the image of the invisible God. These are words we need to know. It's a Greek word. It's icon. It means that it's a picture. It's something that reflects the reality the best that it can. He is the image, the icon of the invisible God. And by the word invisible, it just means that which literally cannot be seen. So it's talking about that which cannot be seen with the eye, not which that which is not, but that which literally the eye that cannot capture. So what Paul is saying is he is the picture of that which our eyes cannot capture. And not only that, but creation, all of matter, all that exists within the cosmos and beyond. We don't know how big this universe is. We have no idea. And the more research that we do, the more that we recognize how big it really is. And all that is matter has been made through him and by him and in him all things hold together. 
So when we talk about the person of Jesus, who we listen to in the Gospels, what we are recognizing is not just that he was a great teacher, although that is definitely the case, but the power of the early church was that that individual who lived in the person of Jesus of history was the very same one who witnessed the very beginning of the cosmos. And that was the one who chose... Now think about what we say every single Sunday before we begin in worship. You have been chosen in love before the foundation of the world. So that is not just something that we are making up. That is born out of this text, this deep, deep Christology, which says that before the creation of the world, this is the individual who chose through time to look at you And to say, I choose to be made human and known, not in power, but in weakness. Not in strength, but in vulnerability. Who looked from before the foundation of the world into this course of humanity and who made that choice to identify with deep solidarity in our vulnerabilities. And so then what Paul says, if you read this text, is then he becomes the first fruits. Okay, that's another way of saying he's the prototype. He's the forerunner of what it means to be human. So we don't just look to Jesus because of the cross. Okay? We look to Jesus because he is the resurrected one who shows us what it means to be human. And that means that in death, we are literally hidden in Christ, and our resurrection will model the one that he had. So it's not just, and I know that we're good students of the Reformation, and we've been talking about this every week, but I want us to hear, because it's so important, especially for our friends and neighbors who are not Christians, it is so important for them to know that it is not just about the death of Jesus. This whole Christian project does not exist simply because of the death of Jesus, but it exists because Christ is the prototype for what it means to be human. And therefore, when I know you in your weakness, I am witnessing to Christ. That's how we share the gospel. We're not saying this doesn't exist. We're not saying this isn't true. We're saying that's not the whole story. Okay? And friends, we're not making that up. That's right here in Colossians 1. Okay, it's right here from the very, very, very beginning. From the very, very, very beginning. I just want to say a few more things about this text, and then we'll be done. 
So when Paul has this deep Christology that issues Christ as the prototype for what it means to be human, he makes a jump. He does something crazy. He does something that we barely ever talk about anymore. He talks about this whole life of Jesus as if it's not over and done with, but as if it's actually still happening. And he doesn't talk about, and he says that the way that this life of Jesus is happening is by suffering. Okay, and Paul actually goes as far to say, and I want you to know that this was radical for the first century and it's radical for us, but he goes as far as to say that the suffering that we experience here in our lives actually fills up the body of Jesus with the suffering that was somehow incomplete in his own life. Guys, that is just stuff we don't hear about. But I double-checked the Greek, and I can promise you that that's actually what it says. Lacking, the word lacking there is impoverished. It means it's somehow not full. It's somehow lacking. It somehow doesn't have the full picture. And so what Paul says is not that Jesus sort of missed the mark in the cross. That's not what this is about. But that actually the spirit of Jesus within you needs that suffering, or not needs, connects with that suffering in a way that actually makes it holy and sacred. And I need to be careful here because what I do not want to do at any cost is to say that we seek out suffering or that we glorify suffering. We do not. But you know what? We don't have to because it exists. It exists whether we want it to or not. So we don't seek it out, we don't go after it, we don't chase after it. As a matter of fact, we know that because we are living in Jesus, we're called to be fully human. We don't need suffering to be a part of that. But the reality is that in our weakness and vulnerability, suffering is a part of that. And that actually becomes the body of Jesus in us. So if there's one thing that I want us to leave with today, it's that Christ is in you. You don't have to do anything. Christ is in you. And so if you are suffering and sad and grieving, Christ is in you. If you are confused and you do not know which way your next step is, Christ is in you. If you are healed now but looking back at the last few years where you have suffered from forms of brokenness that I can only begin to get my mind wrapped around, Christ is in you. If you have friends in another country that are suffering in ways that we just can't get our minds wrapped around here, Christ is in you. The mystery of the gospel is that Christ is made known in our weakness, not in our strength. And friends, I will just close with this. For the primarily white church, we have got to get our minds wrapped around this. Oh, yes, we do. You see, we have spent our lives, and not everybody in this room is white. I just want, I want to acknowledge that. I want to just say we are living in a primarily white denomination as Presbyterians in the United States. 
doesn't mean that our congregation is fully white, right? But all of us, to some degree, know what it means to connect with a dominant culture. And if you don't, then you don't need to listen to this. So right now, I'm speaking to the folks who know what it means to connect to a dominant culture. And for folks who know what it means to connect to a dominant culture, I want to say this. We have lived our lives making other people suffer for us. From the slaves of Africa and the Caribbean, South and Central America, we lived and we practiced church in such a way that we believed that their suffering was divinely appointed for us. For Asian Americans that were sent to the internment camps after World War II, we believed that their suffering was necessary for us and for the safety of our country. And for the queer folk of history, and we are just starting to get this narrative of history unfolded, boy, is it powerful. For the queer folk of history who suffered torturously in the wake of the HIV crisis, we believed that their suffering was warranted. And we need to repent of this, whether it was our hands or not. Because we can no longer function in a church or with a gospel where a divine inflicted suffering says to the other, you suffer on behalf of me. That is not the gospel. That is not what Colossians is talking about. Colossians is talking about the God who has created the cosmos being known in weakness and vulnerability and in suffering. And therefore, at every turn of the way, we say, we choose suffering too. We choose to be known alongside the one who is suffering. And when we begin to embody and practice a gospel that looks like that, we will not live in a world where folks who celebrate and believe in the gospel can also work alongside others who tell fellow public servants to go back where they came from. Because we will know and we will embody that we follow the God who walked right into suffering and vulnerability. That's the landscape of who God is. The New York Times did a story this last week um, on uh, folks sharing their personal stories about times that they had been told to go back to their own country. And I'd encourage you to read that story. It's heart-wrenching and also illuminating to think about how many times our sisters and brothers and siblings have been told that the lines are drawn and that they don't belong. And when we read words like that, we come to ourselves and we say, how did we get here? How on earth 
Did we get here? How can we say this? How did we get here? Because we forgot our roots. We forgot that the one who made the world, the one that we worship, the one that we come alongside, the one that we gather around on Sunday, the one whose table we celebrate, is the one who is known not in strength, but in weakness, not in power, but in vulnerability, not in expansion, but in limitation. And the best news that we have to share is that that is not a constraint that we have put upon the deity. It's not a constraint that we've put upon God. It has been chosen by God inside God's self to say, I choose you in love. And so as you go into this week, let the words of that song that we sang earlier echo throughout your life. We are people who are cradled in the Trinity. There is room here for the world, not just for a few. Friends, thanks be to God. Let us pray.